Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Broadcasting the boys on a Thursday, Roy White, Ari Temkin. We are one week, one freaking week now away from the start of the 2020 NFL season. I mean, I there, thought there was a long period of time here where we would never get here. And here we are, a week away. Cowboys obviously kick it off next Sunday, a week from Sunday night uh, in L.A., opening up a new stadium. And Roy, um, Cowboys dealing with some injuries here. Um you know, we, we've kind of talked about some of the injuries they had along the offensive line. Those guys have returned out of practice. Uh, Amari Cooper has been dealing with some lingering foot issues. Um, Xavier Woods, uh, he left that quote-unquote scrimmage from the other day, which we could talk about later. Yeah, I was uh, going to ask you, Ari, just off the top, if you had to pick a position group that was co- suffering from injuries, which would be the one you would be most concerned about heading into week one? Because a week ago, we were discussing the offensive line. I would say wide receiver or corner. I mean, offensive line, wide receiver, corner. That you would be most concerned about is wide receiver. See, I'd, I wouldn't be as concerned about wide receiver because I feel like they have the depth there to at least play with two number ones in the event that one of the big three goes down. Yeah, but I want, right? the, I want, I, I want it all. And I, I feel like this offense, for it to be as explosive as we expected it to be, needs to have all three of those pieces. I don't disagree with that, but missing one of those three would not be as disadvantageous to the Cowboys as, say, missing Tyron Smith or Lyle Collins on the offensive line, right? Would not be as bad as perhaps missing Tank Lawrence on the defensive line or missing Leighton Vander Esch or Jalen Smith amongst I've the linebackers. I've just linebacker prioritized core, offense right? so much so that I'm – you know, I like, I, I don't, I'm just not going to be as impacted by injuries in the defense. I mean, look, you lose take Lawrence, that's a problem. You know, I'm not, I don't want to downplay that, you know. I mean, there, there are certain guys. Um, like, well, I, I say think all, the, go ahead. Well, I, I just think on the defensive side in particular, like, they're not good at corner or safety, so I'm very concerned there. And they, I mean, Jordan Lewis is injured, Cheeto Ouzier is injured, Xavier Woods is injured. That's, like, they don't have any depth there. I mean, they have nobody, and even the guys that they have are injured. So that's very problematic for me. And that's what I was getting to. Is A week ago, I would have said offensive line because it would have felt like losing one of Tyron Smith or Lyle Collins would have been devastating. Losing one of potentially a Tate Lawrence or an Everson Griffin or an Alden Smith would have felt devastating. Losing one of the three big linebackers or really two in Leighton Vanderesh or Jalen Smith would have felt devastating. But where we sit now being down essentially three starting cornerbacks from a season ago, mm. 
it might be the worst injury situation I could have foreseen. Now, again, Mike McCarthy spoke on Wednesday and said he felt like he could get Xavier Woods back sooner rather than later. You would think that suggests he's ready for week one against the Rams. Jordan Lewis, not as certain. He felt like he could be more of a a longer-term thing, so I would say Jordan Lewis is at best questionable for week one. And then Xavier Woods, another one he was hoping – excuse me, I said Xavier Woods. Cheeto, another one he said he was hoping would come back sooner rather than later. But if you've seen the highlight that Cheeto tweaked his knee on, an interception, where he was playing against – I believe it was Michael Gallup, although I could be wrong just off the top of my head. He he seemed to tweak his knee pretty roughly. So – I would say as we stand a week and a half away from their first game, I definitely feel a little bit concerned about their cornerback position. Now, I will say in the division that they're in, there's probably a position they could not be better off at being worse at than cornerback because there's no wide receiver in the division that I fear. The best wide receiver they're going to face maybe maybe is Darius Slayton, maybe is Sterling Shepard, maybe is Terry McLaurin. Those are not names that scare anybody. But even as we stand here now, Ari, I would say the fact that they have these injuries amongst their starting cornerback group, and I do consider Trayvon Diggs to be a starter, so they haven't lost all of them. But this seems like a fairly significant group, especially when they're preparing against a Rams offense that you would think is going to rely heavily on the arm of Jared Goff and the talents of Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, and this young wide receiver named Van Jefferson, who just made their team and is likely to be starting in their 11 personnel. Yeah, Van Jefferson's a good player, smart receiver. His dad is a receiver's coach for the New York Jets. Um, really good college receiver, too. So, yeah, I mean, their Rams are loaded offensively. We knew that. Um, look, I, Roy, the bottom line here is corner is a – has been a concern. Safety has been a concern. It's more concerning now because the guys that were of concern are now hurt. This team is going to have to outscore a lot of teams. I mean, I, I just, I truly believe this team to win a Super Bowl this year, like they're just going to have to get average play from their defense. And, and at this point, I'm not entirely certain that they can get average play from their defense. But they're going to have to score 40, 45 points a game to win a lot of these games this year. Like that's that's gonna be that's gonna be their calling card. It's gonna be how they're gonna win games. And so it's a little it's a little bit hyperbole. Like forty points a game. No one's averaging forty points a game this season. People need to be very clear about that. Okay. I know we're all excited team right. forty find, find fifty. Okay. 50, yeah, that's a fun a bit. Uh, if anybody averages forty points a game, that would be like three points a game higher than the highest scoring offense in, in NFL history. <laughs> Roy's going to fun police us here with, uh, with our 50. And they're not kicking field goals either, so I don't know where you're getting that three points from. Greg Zerline hasn't kicked a field goal over 48 yards in practice, so we know that they're basically ruling those out this season, right? I mean, what, what do you do at corner? What do you do at safety, Roy? Like, what do you – Well, first, I, I think because of the injuries, ha-ha Clinton Dix's role on this 53-man roster is secure. Um, I think that also probably secures a guy like Daryl Worley, who has two-way ability. Um, we knew both the draft picks were going to make it, and Reggie Robinson and Trayvon Diggs. That's not a surprise. But now, whereas 
I would have probably liked this team to try to address maybe offensive line depth or maybe find uh, a, a, another veteran wide receiver type. Well, probably not a wide receiver type, but another, another veteran defensive lineman perhaps um, where I would have liked them to maybe address those issues when cuts are made around the NFL. I think now they're going to be in the same boat that essentially every team in the league finds themselves in at this time, which is we could use more cornerbacks. Um, it's just funny. That, it's like, I mean, if only we could have foreseen this happening, and not just the injury. But it's like their corners weren't good. So it's like when you when you don't have depth at a position. I mean, you don't have, like it wasn't even depth. Like depth's an overstatement. They, they just didn't have anything at that position. It's like, oh no, now you find yourself on the precipice of a season, and you're underprepared. Oh no, how'd this happen? You can't plug all the holes in the boat, though, Ari. You can't True. plug them all. Not True. in one off season, and not in the salary cap league, because. The moment right. you try, every team has a flaw for sure. Yeah, the moment you try, so you you have to you have to go into the season with what you got, and I do like the Cowboys' formula of what they're going to try to do, which, which as you mentioned, is outscore opponents and hope that they can force teams to play from behind against them. And if they can play from behind against them, then maybe they can luck their way in, scheme their way in to a couple of turnovers here or there that ultimately make the difference for defenses that give up a lot of yards. If you can get a turnover here and there, then it won't matter if you're giving up 25 to 30 points a game because you've also given your offense an extra possession or two. And if your offense is deadly, that's the formula that you're looking for. Roy White on Twitter at RW3. I am Ari Temkin on Twitter at Ari Sports. This is Broadcasting the Boys on the Blogging the Boys Network. Bobby Belt from the NFL Network joins us next. This is the Broadcast of the Boys podcast on the Blogging the Boys Network. On Broadcasting the Boys, we are really pleased to be joined right now by one of the best in the business, our good friend Bobby Belt from the NFL Network joining us. And Bobby, we were just talking a little bit before, you know, kind of looking at what is this 53 going to look like? And, you know, normally it, it's it's such a huge talking point, you know, throughout the preseason leading up to the, the cut down period. And I don't know. I mean, what the point you just made about, you know, there aren't going to be many surprises this year. I mean, do you think that that's partly because there's roster solidification, but do you also think like not having preseason games maybe doesn't invite the, the, you know, question marks or the decision-making maybe not from the inside, but, but certainly from the people that discuss it like us. Yeah, that's probably fair. Um, that, that's probably a big part of it. It's just there's not, you know, they, they haven't been exposed to the Rico Dowdles or the uh, John right, Vea right. Johnsons this year or, like, you know, they, they haven't had an opportunity to, you know, sufficiently freak out about, I don't know, like Ladarius Hamilton or somebody. Like, there's nobody there that's, like, going to get them all worked up. But also at the same time, e- even without that, you still usually have – some veterans on the bubble and you'll still get like, Oh my gosh, they cut Dan Bailey or like, you know, Oh, they cut Jihad Ward and they traded for him, you know, and you'll get those sorts of things. Some, yeah, that's true. Sometimes, but uh, there's not much of that this year. The only guy I think that would really surprise anyone um, that I think could at least potentially get cut. I still don't think it'll happen. Would be ha ha Clinton Dix. Um, but I mean, I, I think he's, going to be here and they'll go ahead and ride things out with him but that's somebody that 
that's probably the only true veteran who looks like, okay, maybe they're on some sort of a bubble. But I, I don't even think that one's that realistic. So, Bobby, I mean, Ari kind of mentioned, and it's a fair point, that sometimes, you know, the media gets a look at one or two plays from a guy in camp, and all of a sudden we blow it up into a bigger thing than it is. Do you think, though, that this is actually having a significant effect on the way that coaches are evaluating this 53 and a new coaching staff that's obviously going to have a little bit of a different effect on how they evaluate things to begin with, but you know, how much did coaches maybe before this season put an emphasis on what players did in preseason games, you know, versus what they're doing in training camp? Or is this probably a, a more fair representation from a year-to-year basis on what coaches maybe would be evaluating if we weren't all inundated with the hype? No, I mean, I think there's there's value to the preseason games. I mean, I think those definitely have an effect. It's probably not, you know, what you do in the preseason games isn't the majority of the decision. I think if it was, you know, you'd see guys like Daniel Wise last year would have made the roster after getting, you know, two, two and a half sacks or whatever it was at the end of the, the preseason. Or, you know, you'd get somebody like uh, Donovan Alumba, who stuck around on the practice squad for two years, but you get somebody like him who would, you know, make the team after breaking up three passes in a preseason game. But, I mean, it definitely helps that it helps to thin the herd. And, you know, uh, Brett Maher won the kicking job, you could say, with that 60-yard boot he had against the Texans at the end of the preseason a couple years ago. Um, So it matters. And I think it matters more for the back end of the roster, and it breaks some ties. Um, But, yeah, I think overall this is – where they're going to lean right now without – Many camps and OTAs without preseason games and, and, and kind of the limited work they've been able to get in relative to a normal year at this point. Uh, I, I think a staff coming in here new like Mike McCarthy's is going to err on the side of the rookies that they selected, the young players that they selected, the young players that they signed as undrafted free agents, and veterans, like like real genuine veterans. And so – that's why I think somebody like, outside of just the injury issue, that's why somebody like Luke Gifford maybe wouldn't get on, but a Francis Bernard would at linebacker. You know, two undrafted free agent linebackers who, who fans like and fans hear positive things about. Okay, well, one's McCarthy's, one's Garrett. You know, and, and they, they want different things. Defensive tackle's a, a, a large difference in terms of what this staff thinks compared to the last staff. And so I, I think that generally – this roster will be pretty easy to figure out because you can just go, okay, who are the veterans? And then who are the guys that this staff brought in? And who are the guys who kind of lack experience and are holdovers from the Garrett era? And I think those are likely the guys that get pushed out. Mm-hmm. We talk with Bobby Belt of the NFL Network here. And, Bobby, what, you know, what have you observed really through the, what, two, three weeks of training camp and maybe more specifically the last couple of weeks when they've had pads on? Like, what are you seeing about this team that maybe surprised you or, you know, just observations, especially ones that maybe have surprised you. Uh, I mean, I don't know that. I don't know that there's anything that really surprises me about this team. I'll, I'll say that the the most jarring thing I've seen out of practice is just it, the pace at which they go. It's much tighter and quicker and and really kind of frenetic and and you know there's a lot of energy going on there and there's a, there's not a lot of wasted time. You know, at practice there's 
and then not to say that Jason Garrett wastes time, but I'm saying there's not the jumping jack lines and there's not the, you know, onside kick games that they have with coaches and, and stuff like that. Um, it's all a, a pretty tightly run ship. Um, but in terms of like what this team is and, and what their makeup is, you know, I, I think everything's yeah, kind of like where it was last year, which is like, they're an incredibly talented team, but you know, are, are they, it's, it's a really good collection of 53 players, or it will be a really good collection of 53 players. Is it the right collection of 53 players? Mm. There's a ton of talent there, but is it all going to mesh together? I think that's the thing. And you can't know that until you get into the season. And so I I don't think there's anything surprising about Alden Smith being who Alden Smith has come out and looked like. And I don't think there's any surprise that, you know, you've got, C.D. Lamb looking great, and then that's why the Cowboys had him sixth ranked overall in the draft. I think you don't think you don't everything... think Alden Smith has been a surprise. You don't think it's been a surprise? That... I, okay, I, well, I, I guess I would say not for. I, it doesn't surprise me. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, maybe it surprised some, but like, I mean, I've just talked to enough people leading up to it who were training with him and and were working with him that I knew where he was at when he entered camp, and so I, I think maybe people are surprised at how well he's handled Tyron Smith. Um, and how often he's won battles there. Um, but I think overall everybody knew that, you know, Alden Smith had, had gotten himself in shape, and we already knew he had tremendous tools, and it was just a matter of knocking off the rust. And that's what this camp has been about. But I think overall, um, no, I don't, think, I don't think it's too big a surprise that Alden Smith, you know, a guy who, to me, was the best, like, just pure pass rusher that came out of that 2011 class with J.J. Watt and Vaughn Miller. And, like, I, I think that it's no surprise that those tools haven't faded. I mean, he has really special, unique tools that, that don't just disappear. He's incredibly gifted. And it's just a matter of knocking off the rust and, and keeping in the right frame of mind. And I, just, I knew from talking to people he was in the right frame of mind and he was doing the work to knock off the rust. Well, I trust your knowledge on it, Bobby. No question about it. And I trust your contacts because I know you talk to a lot of people that are really close to these guys. But I got to ah, tell you. you fool. I am surprised at the fact that any human can keep themselves or even get themselves back into good enough shape to be at a level that they were at, albeit four years ago, at in a position in their lives where, quite frankly, their body was in a different way um, just, you know, from father time. And to see him in the position that he's now, the way that everybody is talking about him, that's certainly a surprise to me, but I'm happy to hear that, that you're not surprised by because that gives me even more confidence going into the season. I want to ask Well, you well I, I, I would say just really quickly on, on the point of father time, you got to think when we talk about father time, it's usually also due to wear and tear. You know, they've been taking hits on their body. And Alden Smith hasn't played in a football game in five years. You know, he was 25 the last time he played. Mm-hmm. So, Do you think that's a benefit? I mean, Do you think that's a in, in terms of, In terms of wear and tear, yeah. Right, I think sure. that he physically he's he's not worn down the way a thirty year old typically would be. Now obviously he's probably lost, you know, or, or certain things have decreased from the age of twenty five, but I don't think they've decreased as much as they would have if he had been playing the whole time. Um and he the things he missed out on that would benefit him had he been playing this whole time, other than, you know, he what he would lose in having his body beat up would be, you know, experience and, and increased veteran savvy. But I mean this is a guy who was training with Jay Glazer uh, out at his uh, gym in California to get himself in shape, doing a lot of, like, kickboxing and stuff like that. He's somebody who, when he got here to Dallas, 
he immediately linked up with a defensive line trainer and was doing two workouts a day. And then in between his two workouts, while his trainer was working with high schoolers, he would get an extra work by helping the trainer run the high schoolers through the drills. And so he was essentially getting in three workouts a day, uh, like every day of the week. And then in addition to that, he was going to A plus D1 in Carrollton, uh, which is owned by Aqib Tlaib. And he was working out with the pro group there, you know, getting in shape and, and going through extra defensive line drills. He was getting all the work he possibly could to make sure he was completely ready. And even though he's been away from the game, and so you think, okay, he's probably naturally going to be a little behind some of the other guys here on defense, he actually in a way is ahead of them because he already knew everything that Jim Tomsula wanted and, and the things that he wanted. And he was, uh, you know, leading a lot of times the Cowboys during these virtual OTAs. Like he was leading through the drills and, and kind of demonstrating in, in their video conferencing and things like that because he already knew it. And so, uh, you know, there are certain things where he's ahead of everybody else. And was naturally ahead of them. But, yeah, I mean, there was some rust to knock off and, and things like that. But I think he's he's done a good job to position himself to, you know, have double-digit sacks this year. Uh, Bobby Belt is our guest here on uh, on the broadcast of the Boys Podcast. And, you know, Bobby, I, I, um, I am really excited to see what this team looks like from a coaching standpoint. And, I, I mean, everything we've seen and heard – since Mike McCarthy's been hired has been, I think what we've wanted to see in terms of being adaptive, you know, being multiple. Um, obviously that has bared itself out in practice, especially on the defensive side of the football. I mean, how much different do you think McCarthy will be in terms of what he was in green Bay? And then how much different do you think it'll be from a standpoint of, you know, not being so glued to one sort of scheme, but being able to be matchup oriented. Uh, I mean, I like, I don't want to sound like a buzzkill. I don't think McCarthy's going to be different at all from what he was in Green Bay. Like, uh, but I mean, McCarthy won a Super Bowl in Green Bay, but uh, there were obviously things that were, you know, there were problems, but I think a lot of those problems were related to chemistry and things like that. Um, but in terms of philosophy, I mean, I, I think there's only so much that you can buy a, you know, late in life conversion to, you know, the analytical side. Um, you know, I, I remember when he was doing his first sit-down of interviews with Dallas Media. And, again, I don't want to sound skeptical. I think Mike McCarthy, given what the Cowboys wanted, they wanted experience. They wanted somebody with skins on the wall, somebody who was, you know, free, not somebody who was locked up that they couldn't hire. I think given all their qualifications, they hired the best possible person. So I don't want to make it sound like I'm dogging on the McCarthy hire at all. But when he was doing his first round of interviews with Dallas Media and they, you know, talked about his conversion to analytics and – he starts talking about, well, you know, my first job in Kansas City, uh, that's kind of what I was doing. But, you know, it was, it was called offensive quality control at the time. It's like, man, somebody asks you about your conversion to analytics and you say, boy, let me tell you what I was doing in 1994. Like, it's a little, okay, that sounds counterintuitive. I don't like that he still to this day, whenever you ask him about, okay, you've had this conversion, which this was asked of him by Dallas Media, you've had this conversion to the analytical side. Well, what do you say about uh, the role the run game plays? You know, in terms of what part should that have in an offense if you come over to this more analytical side? And he started talking about, well, you have to have an effective run game to, you know, make play action effective. Like, eh, nope, you don't. No. You're wrong. And everything that's out there says you're wrong. And right. I just feel like anybody who's truly come over to an analytical side and understands the way teams mine data and, and look at personnel groupings and, and understand what tendencies teams have, they wouldn't be concerned about stripping the numbers and names off of jerseys in a scrimmage yeah. because that wouldn't be top of mind. Is it like that strikes me as just like an old 
antiquated, like, here's an advantage. And it's like, no, that's a pretend advantage. That really doesn't matter. Now, the tight right. shots probably had more of an effect on teams being able to glean things from you. But, I mean, if they had wide shots and no numbers on their jerseys, teams would have been A-OK with that. That wouldn't have been a problem to them. Bobby Bell joining us here from the NFL Network, uh, producer extraordinaire and uh, one half of the great podcast with Jane Slater. Of course, you can check that out. Um, Bobby, I wanted to ask you real quickly about roster construction because we've seen basically year in and year out Jason Garrett construct a roster that comprised of 25 offensive players, 25 defensive players, and three special teamers. And this year's unit – Looks like it maybe could go light offensively and heavier defensively, maybe like a 24 to 26 split. You got several guys um, who occupy multiple positions on the defensive side of the ball, and you have several guys on the offensive side of the ball that you really maybe don't want to take off the field that often. I'm thinking specifically of the running back position. Zeke and Pollard are probably going to be your guys that you lean on all season long, as long as they stay healthy. And the running and the wide receivers, you know, outside of your big three, you maybe have three more for depth, but maybe don't want to go that far. Do you think they could go heavier on the defensive side of the ball, um, specifically maybe, and look at that side of the ball to upgrade when cuts are made around the rest of the league? Normally, I would say no, but I think that I like. I think you're on to something here because we just we keep hearing too much buzz and speculation and chatter about like, well, you know, they could carry just two running backs and well, they could just carry five receivers. And it's like, okay, well, they're not going to carry more than their three tight ends. I don't think they cut a quarterback today. So you're, you're going to run with three quarterbacks. So, I mean, three quarterbacks, two running backs, five receivers, three tight ends to get to 25 offensive players. You'd have to keep 12 offensive linemen and they hacked like four of them on, on Wednesday. (laughs) And so, I mean, it definitely looks like it could go like a 26-24 or maybe even like a 27-23. The only problem I have is, like, I don't even see 27 guys on defense worth keeping necessarily. And that's not to say, you know, the Cowboys are lacking depth. They're terrible. It's just like if you'd be keeping anybody, it just seems like you'd be keeping them to fill out 53 people and not because you, like, really wanted that extra person. Mm. Um, But like you say, it could be, you know, just a placeholder. They'll keep somebody – on the roster because they plan on signing a free agent or because, you know, they expect here in the next two weeks that Randy Gregory is going to be back and that they're going to need to have that spot open for him. Um, and so you, I think it's probably something along those lines that they may keep defense heavy, but regardless of what they keep, I think probably the bottom two or three guys on the roster are going to be guys that they view as expendable if they want to go out and get somebody you know, after roster cut down that they, they like more or, or, you know, like I say, if potentially Randy Gregory gets reinstated here shortly. All right, Bobby, September 2nd, 2022. Is Dak Prescott on the Cowboys roster? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think if he gets tagged again next season and they don't reach a deal, no. Um, I don't think you're going to go back-to-back tags and then all of a sudden work it out. Right. Um, but, I mean, I've also, like – Every step of the way gone, oh, yeah, you know, it's it's July of 2019. Yeah, they'll get something done before training camp. Right. And then we're in training camp. It's like, oh, yeah, they'll get something done before the season, though. Me too. And yeah. then it's like, oh, we'll get something done during the season. And so, like, I keep thinking, of course they'll get something done. So, I mean, I'm kind, kind of out of guesses at this point. Um, but I, I think that, yeah, I mean, I, I they really like him. And, and they really believe in him. And I think everybody in that building really believes in him. Um and even if they 
maybe have questions about where he's at right now. I think they all believe he can be the guy they need. I think they feel comfortable projecting it. And that's just for the handful of people who may not be there yet. But there are plenty of people in that building who think he's the guy now. He's somebody we can win with now. And so I, I think eventually that'll win the day and that there were just a lot of complicating factors, you know, COVID-19 being one of them that I think affected salary cap projection and made things maybe a little more difficult. But in the end, I think the player will win. The player always wins in these standoffs with the Cowboys. As much as the Cowboys like the deadlines make deals, I mean, they haven't really won a negotiation since Tyron Smith's extension. True. And that was six years ago. True. And so, realistically, I mean, they blinked on the running back. They blinked on the linebacker. They paid the receiver, you know, $20 million a year when I think even as much as everybody loved Amari, when they traded for him, you heard people say, like, well, he's not a $20 million a year receiver, though. So that's the thing. Whatever you say, Dak Prescott isn't right now. Okay, so if you say Dak's not a $40 million quarterback, next year or two years down the road, you'll be saying Dak's not a $45 million quarterback because that right. number's always going to go up. And you're going to think 40 is reasonable in a year and a half anyway. Yeah, you won't get any debate uh, from either of us on this program um, because we've been singing that song for the same number of years, as long as we've been on. And we've only been on a couple of months here, Bobby. Um, I, I completely agree with you. Uh, the other thing that the Cowboys are doing, though, that's interesting to me is they're they're almost they're stacking the deck in a way that it would almost make it seem impossible for Dak to fail, for Dak to take steps backwards. And one of the things that they're doing to kind of keep that continuity and keep that train rolling is they're continuing to have Kellen Moore be the play caller, uh, despite the fact that Mike McCarthy has experience in that regard, obviously saw most of his success in Green Bay when he was doing that. So, how do you think that dynamic is playing out, especially when a lot was made over the last 24 hours of the fact that Mike McCarthy had a sit down with Dak Prescott, had a sit down with Kellen Moore and basically said, I want you to be as comfortable as possible. And if that means I'm a little bit uncomfortable with the situation, that's fine as long as it's what's best for the performance of the quarterback. Um, yeah, I believe he believes that right now um but i also know he really wanted to get back into football do you so, like, think I mean, that's an say, easy they... thing to say for him though as like a, a no place no i don't i don't i don't, I don't, I don't... that if things don't go well he has kellen moore as a buffer to say well the reason it didn't go well is because kellen moore was the issue and now i can step in and be the play caller um i i mean it could i don't think he's thinking of it in those terms though um, I think he just wanted to get back into football. And I think he really does think highly of Kellen Moore. And he thinks a lot, you know, he thinks that Kellen Moore can do some good things. And so he's talked about how he wants to incorporate some of his own ideas, but he also said, like, it's really important. Like you just referenced, it's really important to have the continuity here for the quarterback. Um, I, I mean, when you look at, you know, Dak's career, he's, he's had a lot of turnover. Um, I know it seems like there was just kind of an old guard with the Cowboys that was always in place and nothing ever changed for 10 years. Uh, but the reality is that Dak dealt with a lot of people in that quarterback room coming in and out. You know, he, he was there with Garrett, obviously, as his head coach the whole time, but he had, you know, Scott Linehan and Kellen Moore's two different coordinators. He had Wade Wilson and Kellen Moore and uh, John Kitna and now Doug Nussmeyer as his quarterback's coach. And, you know, Sanjay Law had a big voice in the game plan, which was obviously a, a passing aspect that he would have a voice in. So there was a voice there that, you know, is no longer in there. And Derek Dooley would often have a voice. So, I mean, there have been a lot of people uh, kind of 
in DAC theater. And, and there's not really been any stability to just like let him grow within the system. Like some little piece is always changing. Um, and I think that's why when they wanted the quarterback coach, that's why they just wanted to elevate Nussmeyer is because Nussmeyer had been here and had worked with Dak and Dak already thought really highly of him. And so it, it was a change there, but it's, it's somebody who's familiar with and somebody who had been working with him already. And so I think, you know, you hear Dak talking about it, that Mike McCarthy told him, like, we want you to be able to grow within the system that the, the best quarterbacks usually are able to just kind of flourish in the system that they came up in. And so I, I think that there is, as much as it probably did hurt to give up some things and, and, you know, maybe he likes to have control over certain things that now he doesn't get to have control over. Um, I think that he also genuinely does recognize that it's probably not the best thing in the world for the quarterback and the best thing in the world for a team that feels like they're close talent wise to go ahead and kind of like jumble everything up and hit the reset button. And especially in a year where they didn't have OTAs in mini camp. And so now maybe things change next year. Um, maybe next year when I have a full off season, Mike McCarthy says, okay, now I can implement the things I wanted. I couldn't do a complete overhaul when we didn't have them here in the building, but now I can. And so maybe that changes, but I, I think genuinely he really does believe this is the best setup right now to see Dak Prescott succeed. Bobby, you're the best, man. Thank you so much for your time. Be well. Thank you. Love you. <laughs> Love you too, Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Bobby. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you to Bobby Belt for joining us here. Thanks, of course, to Roy White on Twitter at RW3. I am Ari Temkin on Twitter at Ari Sports. Make sure to hit that subscribe button if you've not yet already. And, of course, always be checking out bloggingtheboys.com for all the latest on the Dallas Cowboys. For now, we out. <laughs>